Rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry, and I don't know why. Uh, I, I can relate to that uh, line. Every time I hear it, I have to chuckle because I must confess that I'm a workaholic uh, at heart. Uh, I, uh, I have to tinker with everything. I have to try to fix everything. I have to work at all things until I uh, make them perfect, no matter how much time or energy uh, that it takes. It's uh, something that plagues me. But uh, I'm in good company, you know. There's a holy host of others standing around me, as uh, James Taylor says. Uh, I find that there are a lot of people like that that are driven, compulsive uh, performers. It's hard to get us uh, busy people to to rest. And unfortunately, our work habits in the world tend to move over into our fellowship and relationship and and service for God. We're just as compulsive, just as driven uh, in our ministries. And uh, we, we do more than than God ever intended us to do. God did more than he ever designed our bodies to do to the point that we just uh, wear ourselves out, get worn down, and and we want to give up, give up. I've mentioned before that as you look at the Lord's life, you just don't see him rushing around like we do. Uh, he was never in a hurry. He had three and a half years to do an infinite work, and yet he was he never seemed pushed. As a matter of fact, there was there seemed to be very little effort in what he was doing, even when people made impossible demands. Upon him, people were crowding into his life, trying to to get a piece of his time. His pace was always measured and and slow. Uh, he, he must have known something that uh, we don't know, and, and indeed he uh, he did and does. Somewhere I read that we ought to think about the phrase "busy Christian" the same way we think about the phrase "adulterous wife." There's a shocking incongruity about that about that phrase, busy Christian. We just can't justify it. Because you don't see it in our Lord's life, and you don't see it anywhere in, in Scripture. However, even though we know better, we just don't seem to let up. We, I know, for myself, I've, I've got to keep doing things. I can't leave well enough alone. There's always more work. Uh, to be done. What I need, what we all need is rest. R-E-S-T, rest. A couple of months ago, a friend of mine, Sid Dreher, uh, gave me a, an outline based on that acronym, R-E-S-T, that I have found very, very helpful. And I want to pass it on to you. It, it's unforgettable. And use that as an outline around which to this presents some ideas. We started last week talking about this concept of Sabbath, Shabbat in, in Hebrew. And, uh, and I want to continue that, that message this morning. I started, I sat down a couple of weeks ago and started manuscripting this sermon and I ended up with 14 pages of manuscript and I, and I, I knew I couldn't land that on you in one Sunday so I've, I've had to space it out and as a matter of fact I can't cover all the material in the manuscript this morning. I'm going to try to put it in the racks for you uh, 
for next week. But some of the ideas I'd like to talk about this morning, and, and I want to gather those ideas around that acronym, R-E-S-T. Remember the Sabbath, first of all. R, remember the Sabbath. E, examine your motives. Why do we work so hard? And we want to do that this morning. S, seek Sabbath experiences. Sabbath experiences are different than Shabbat, that rest that God gives. They grow out of rest. Seek Sabbath experiences. And third, take charge of your life. R-E-S-T. Remember the Sabbath. Examine your motives. Seek Sabbath experiences. And take charge of your life. Take control of your life. Now, last week we started talking about this uh, concept uh, concept of, of Sabbath rest. As I pointed out, our English word Sabbath is really just an anglicized form of the Hebrew word Shabbat. So when I talk about Shabbat, I'm talking about the whole concept that we want to develop in this uh, in this short series. The, the Hebrew word Shabbat means to cease and desist, to stop, to bring something to an end. It has, has the idea of cessation uh, in it. Cessation of work with accompanying rest and repose is, is basically the, the connotation of of the word. And as I pointed out last week, Shabbat is, is the oldest institution in the world. It began in the beginning. You have to go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, God's creative activity. Spent six days working hard, creating the world, a world of enjoyment for us. It's all done for us, you see. And then he sat back to luxuriate in what, it, what he had done, and he, and he said, oh, that, that's, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. My children are going to and enjoy that. And then he took a day off. He rested. And what he did was to establish by example a rhythm in the universe. Six days of labor, one day of rest. As I mentioned last week, that notion of six days of work, one day of rest, found its way into every culture. You find it as far back as you can go in all these, these Mesopotamian calendars that I mentioned last, last week. They're, they're all based on a a seven-day week, and the seventh, and the fourteenth, the twenty-first, and the twenty-eighth are significant days. You say, "Well, that's because they were based on a lunar calendar." No, not at all. A lunar calendar is a, a twenty-nine and a half-day week. Had nothing to do with the lunar cycle. There's this memory, this vestigial racial memory that was implanted into the into every culture. But the seventh day is a special day. In Babylonian calendars, the special rubric on the seventh day sets it apart. They call it Shabbatun, which is akin to the Hebrew word Shabbat. Long before the law was given, thousands of years before the law was given. See, this notion is brought into into human memory. Can't forget it. This rhythm of work and rest, work and, and rest. Then we talked a bit about the first mention of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. The fact that for six days Israel gathered manna, worked hard to get their daily bread. It's God's way of demonstrating that he could be trusted, that he was going to provide day in and day out. But then on the sixth day when they went out to gather manna, they found that twice as much had fallen. And they, they didn't know what was up. They gathered it up, gathered two omers, two bushels instead of one. And, 
And when they quizzed Moses, Moses went to the Lord to get the answer. The Lord said, well, that's because tomorrow I don't want you to go out and gather men. I don't want you to work tomorrow. I'm providing up front so you can rest. See? So, you know, busy people being what they are, the next morning they set the alarm, got up at five, went out and started gathering men, and there wasn't any. God said, I told you, I told you. I just want you to rest. The next mention of, of the uh, idea of, of Shabbat is found in the Ten Commandments, which restated both in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 6, in the span of 40 years in, in between, plus or minus a, a, a few months. The first giving of, of the law specified that it was based on God's creative activity. Remember the Sabbath as though it was something that they already knew. It's just a matter of bringing it to, the, to mind. Remember the Sabbath. And uh, it recalls the fact that God himself rested. He set the example on the seventh day. And then uh, there's something added in Deuteronomy 6. There's the reminder that God is the great emancipator, that he delivered them from drudgery and slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, nobody took a vacation. They, They did menial, mindless tasks, making bricks without straw, laboring for others. In Egypt, without a single day off, God delivered them from that that drudgery. That reminder is just packed into the to the the fourth commandment in in, De- in Deuteronomy six. God has set you free from that kind of of labor. Then we talked about the Canaan rest, the fact that throughout the twenty plus twenty five years, actually there or more, that they were engaged in in their campaign in Canaan, driving the Canaanites from the land that God had gone before them. He said, I've sent the hornet before. Drive out the people from the land. So for 25 years, they were fighting a battle that was already won. It was God's campaign. They just entered into what what he was doing. And then one passage that I did not elaborate, but which in, in thinking about it, I think maybe the most significant of all, Sabbath verses, it's in Exodus 31. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign, a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the earth and the heavens, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. See here, Shabbat is designated as a sign, a symbol. Here's a little inkling of what is yet to come. This is not the real thing. This is the shadow. The reality is is to follow. The sign signifies something. See? It, it signifies something. And this is what it signifies. Ezekiel expresses uh, the idea more fully. I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so that I would know. Listen to this. Excuse me. So they would know that I myself the Lord made them holy. You see what he's saying? The Sabbath signifies a greater reality. What? That God is at work to make his people holy. That God is the sanctifier. That he's the one who sets, sets things right. He's the one that saves. and He regenerates. And he sanctifies. And he glorifies. And he does everything that's being done in us. And for us. And to us. Everything about us is his work. And the Sabbath uh, was, the, the, uh, was the significance of that. Now, the, the, the sum of, of Ezekiel's arc, argument is simply this. 
That God is the one who sets men and women right. And that's why Sabbath keeping was so important. That's why you see these seemingly harsh judgments leveled at people who broke the Sabbath. Because Israel knew what the Sabbath signified. And when they broke the Sabbath, they were simply saying in one way or another, I don't want God's help. I can do it all by myself. I don't need God. I can live without him. We talked about the would-be woodgather, the fellow that went out to pick up sticks, and and uh, Israel didn't quite know what to do with that. It seemed like such a trifling thing, and God said that's a capital offense, and they took his life because this was a recurrent, rebellious, resistant, defiant Sabbath breaker, sinning with a high hand is the idiom, a fist in God's face. Who needs you, God? I can do it all by myself. And that's why Sabbath breaking was was such a, a serious offense. Uh, anyone who broke the Sabbath was rejecting God's Shabbat and saying they they were able to achieve salvation on on their own. So I summarized this way last week. The point of the Sabbath is this. Before there was a single human being in the world to appreciate it, God set apart the seventh day by example and precept. It was for the use and the benefit of, of the human race, a day of physical rest, but it was, and here I'm quoting John Calvin, meant to represent to the people of God spiritual rest in which believers lay aside their own works to allow God to work in them. Understand what Calvin is saying? We lay aside our work so God can work in us. See, that's why when we come to the New Testament, the apostles and Jesus had such a cavalier attitude toward the Sabbath day because they realized that it was a shadow of a greater reality. That's why our Lord began from the very beginning to overturn the Sabbath by violating this most cherished of all Jewish institutions and saying that he, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has the right to do so. They overturned the day, but they did not overturn the significance of the day. See? They spiritualized the day, just as the Old Testament prophets had done, as Ezekiel did, to see it as a day of spiritual rest. And we talked about the writer of Hebrews and how he elaborates on this, this theme in such a clear way. He says that creation rest was not the ultimate rest, and Canaan rest was not the ultimate rest. Otherwise, David would never have said in Psalm 95, today, enter into rest. Joshua didn't give them rest. It was Jesus who gives rest. And that's why he could say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest uh, in your souls. If you look on the, the front of your uh, bulletins, you'll see really the summation of of everything that that I wanted to say about the Sabbath, the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Shabbat is not a day. It's a disposition. It's a mindset. It's an attitude of resting in God for everything that that we do, believing that all the demands upon us are basically demands upon him. He's at work, so I don't have to. He's expending effort, so I don't have to. He's done everything that has to be done on my behalf, so I don't have to do anything except enter in. Shabbat 
means that we rest in our Lord's finished work on Calvary. It means that we stop our frantic efforts to make ourselves more presentable and accept God's offer of acceptance. His cross paid for past sin. It's finished. We don't have to add anything to it. We just enter in. Shabbat means that everything we do as his children, whether it's mopping a floor or consummating a multi-million dollar deal, preparing for an exam or putting down malice, injustice, and greed uh, in our own uh, in our own souls, preaching the gospel or playing with our little with our little ones. It's all done out of rest. It's all done out of that wonderful sense that God is at work both to will and to do for his good pleasure, and he's been doing it since eternity. And I closed last week with that wonderful little psalm, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, because he gives to those he loves while they sleep. That's a variant, but a valid translation of that last line. It is not that he merely gives us sleep, although that is one of God's wonderful gifts to us. It's that he gives while we sleep. And you see, the real significance of that psalm lies in the fact that the Sabbath for Israel did not begin on Saturday morning. It began on Friday night at bedtime. When they went to sleep, Shabbat began. And while they were asleep, God was at, was at work. Um, George MacDonald says, Sleep is God's contrivance for giving us the help He cannot get into us when we're awake. I love that. Sleep is God's contrivance for giving us the help He cannot get into us when we're awake. See? We are totally non-productive. But nothing essential stops. He goes on working. Now, you busy mothers know what it's like to tuck your children. You know, you want to get those kids in bed early so you can get your work done. You know, that's when, that's when you get things accomplished. And I, when I read that, that quote from McDonald, I thought, bingo, you know, that, that makes sense. God looks at us and he sees our busy, frantic lifestyle and he can't get anything done because we're in the way and, and he, he puts us to sleep so he can get the work done. You see what he's saying? When we sleep, He works. When we rest, He works. That's the background of the Sabbath. He's at work, so we don't have to. We can leave things undone on our desk. We can walk away from it on Friday afternoon or any afternoon at 5 o'clock. We don't have to work into the night. Because you see, when we do that, we're simply demonstrating that it all depends on us. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. I told this story before about the, the, the time I came home from a trip. And I was praying with Carolyn. And I was thanking the Lord for taking care of things while I was gone. And Carolyn chuckled. I said, what's the matter? She said, well, who do you think takes care of it while you're here? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> but that's the point. I have to be on the job. I can't take a day off. I can't take a vacation. I don't have time to play with my kids. I can't take a walk down the green belt. I've got to get things done. See, it all depends on me. Oh, I, I know my salvation doesn't depend on me. I know my, salva- my, my sanctification doesn't depend on me. 
But I keep thinking that my service for God depends on me. And if I'm not out there beating the bushes and doing things and trying to fix everything and perfect everything and, and redo the things that I've already done and make them just exactly so, that they're not going to be done. I don't have time for people. I don't have time for myself. I don't have time for God. I'm too busy working for Him. Now, don't look so pious. Because I know you struggle with, with the same thing. Though we may leave many things undone and many projects unfinished, God is still on the job. He gives to those He loves while they sleep. The next morning we wake up, His eyes sweep over us, and He invites us to enjoy the benefits of all He has done. We don't have to hit the floor running. See? We don't have to get started. We don't have to get things done. He's been doing it for eons, working all along. Paul puts it this way, preparing the good works for us to walk in them. So I get up in the morning, and I don't have to be hassled and hurried and pushed. I don't have to hit the floor running, because I know he's been at work all along. Now, that that's our. Remember, remember the Sabbath. When you feel like you can't take any time off, can't take a vacation this year, can't spend any time with your kids, can't spend time with your spouse, don't have time for God, remember the Sabbath. Now, the E in the acronym is to examine your heart. You have to ask ourselves, why do we work so long and so hard? Why, why do we impose such tyrannical routines on ourselves? We know better. We're always talking about slowing down, but we never do. What are the motives that chain us to our desks 18 hours a, a day? Uh, Charles Lamb uh, asked, Who first invented work and bound the free and holiday rejoicing spirit down and then blamed it all on Sabbathless Satan who tied us to that dry drudgery at the desk dark wood? But while it is true that Satan is the one that plants in our heads the idea that it all depends upon us, most of our chains are self-imposed, frankly. In thinking through some of the motives that I catch in myself and others, I, I think for some, work is our drug of choice. It's the way we deal with the pain and perplexity of, of life. There are certain elements of our life that we can't stand, and so we rush into work. I, you know, I, I often get frustrated in, in talking with some of my young uh, pastoring friends. You know, well, why? You know, their wives say, I never see the guy. He's never home. Uh, I'm raising the children without him. And I ask, you know, what, why, why are you doing this? You know, if you ask yourself from your own heart, why are you doing this? And sometimes I find that what they're doing is running away from a difficult home situation. We, we all tend to gravitate toward areas of strength, gravitate toward areas of strength. And they feel weak at home. They don't know how to handle the situation. So work becomes the escape. That's why I say it, it, it's our, our drug of choice. We're, we're looking for a fix. Others are always looking for something to fix. You know, that's me. I, you know, I, I like to tinker with things until I either perfect them or, or break them. Uh, I assume responsibility for everything. My whole life is, is driven to achieve perfection in myself and, and in others. See, I want to set everything right, and I forget 
that God's the fixer. Not me. That's not my job. I wasn't sent here on this earth to set everybody right and put everybody in their place and perfect everything. That's I'm going to leave that to God. For others, I think work is uh, is a sacrificial offering, an atonement for sin. It's some way to to deal with the plagues of our past, some way of proving that we're really not as bad as as we think we are, or it's some way uh, simply to uh, uh, to deal with our with our guilt and our shame. Uh, as I say, we're like monks in their cells who devote themselves to drudgery, denying ourselves, flagellating ourselves, hoping somehow to save ourselves from past sin and and guilt. It's our atonement. Uh, For some, work provides opportunities to be important, to be needed. I hear people complain. I hear myself complain about call slips and and appointments and people... uh, Wanting to grab off a piece of my time, and you know, and I, I sort of like that. You know, it's kind of nice to be needed. I need to be needed. I want to be wanted. And when people don't need me or want me, I start feeling uncomfortable. See? Driven by this sense of of having to be important, having to be significant, always having to do something, or to be of of help to others. But see, one, once we get it into our heads that God doesn't need us to get our work done, much less His, we can begin to deal with our work habits. We can take off now and then. We can take an hour each day or a portion of a day each week to be alone with God. We can, we can take time to, as a friend of mine says, howdy with His, with His friends. We can take a day off, can take a vacation, can miss a meeting or two. Don't have to be at every meeting. And leave some tasks undone at the end of each day and go home. And take time to talk and take long walks with our spouses and, and little ones. You can hunt, fish, golf, whatever you love to do with your friends. Uh, heard, read years ago of a conversation between Philip Melanchthon and, and Martin Luther. And, and Philip said to, to Martin, Martin, today he said we shall discuss the Governance of the universe, Luther replied. No, this day and you, this day you and I are going fishing, and leave the governance of the universe to God. See, we don't we don't have to be dogged and, and driven in our work. See, the good news is Shabbat. It's rest. God's at work, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, in the, in, in the few minutes I have left, I want to talk about the S letter. Uh, seek. Sabbath experiences. As I said, you have to distinguish between Shabbat, Sabbath itself, the concept of rest, and Sabbath experiences. Sabbath experiences grow out of that concept of rest. Once I know that God's minding the store, see, once I know he's on the job, then I don't have to be. So I can begin to experience times of of rest. In my mind, I distinguish between recuperation and rest. Recuperation is part of the of our work week. I'm convinced that our bodies are so designed that we simply have to work. That's uh, have to rest. That's a part of preparing for work. I'm really talking about something different than just taking some time off in order to let your uh, body, your over adrenalized body, uh, catch up. I'm really talking about slowing down 
developing a more measured, leisurely pace in life and taking time to do some of the things that grow out of that sense that God is at work. Now, for me, the essential Sabbath experience is taking time out for God. We talked about that some last week. Time out for God is not just something for a few cloistered, contemplative souls that have the time to do it. It's for everyone. When we take time for God, we enter into deeper rest, and we take that rest with us through the day. It lingers. How many times have you and I popped out of bed in the morning, looked at our to-do list, and said, there's no way I can set aside any time for God. I've got to get on the job. And so we grab our clothes, and we eat a breakfast bar, and and off we go to work. Say, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. Don't have any time for God. I mentioned last week, dear Mary and Martha, Martha turning around the house, wanting to do all sorts of things for our Lord, when all he wanted her to do was to sit down and listen to him and rest, you see. I sometimes think that ministry is the greatest enemy of my spiritual life because, uh, you know, and, and, and you're no different than, than I. There's so many things to do, calls to make and books to read and meetings to attend and messages to prepare. My calendar is filled with appointments. My days are consumed with engagements. My mind is crammed with projects. There's scarcely a moment I'm not scheduled. I don't have time for God. i got to get busy. Hey, I'm, this is ministry. But then I think of Mary and Martha. And I realize again that there's that that better place, just sitting at, at the Lord's feet. Setting, setting the alarm in the morning, getting up and spending some time with the Lord, just listening, Let him, letting him minister to us and, and to our souls. That's what uh, the fathers of the church called holy leisure, odium sanctum, they called it, holy leisure. It's taking the time out of the day to spend time with God. It's an absolute essential. But quite frankly, until we understand the larger concept of rest, we probably won't do it because there's too much in life to get done to spend time with God. And that holy leisure, I, I like that term because it suggests that, that, that even in the midst of our work, there, there can be a large center of leisure and rest and peace in our, in our lives. You know, right in the middle of our work day when we're confronted with a room full of children or a workbench full of uh, projects or, or whatever it may be, just to stop what we're doing and draw near to the heart of God. Just remember and reflect, worship, center on him. Uh, Brother, Brother Lawrence calls that practicing the presence of God. He said, I make it my business to try to persevere in his holy presence throughout the day. I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I refer to as the actual presence of God. Or to put it another way, an habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. Just stopping in the middle of our busyness and reminding ourselves that we really don't have to be so busy. There's that, that center of, of peace in which we can, we can dwell. Shabbat can lead us into a day of solitude and silence. 
Once we understand that we don't have to be on the job all the time, we can take some time off. Maybe you can't take a whole day. Maybe you can just take an hour or two. But what I try to do is to, what I'm trying more and more to do, to be honest, is to hie myself off into the desert or up into the woods and just take a New Testament or a Bible in my notebook and just walk and, and pray and listen and, and journal and, and think and just try to get away for a time. You say, well, you don't have to, I don't have time to do that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So you, you may not have long periods of time to do it, but I think those times of solitude, are the, those are the times we nurture our own souls. We're not doing it for anybody else, although others are always the beneficiaries. My tendency is to always be preparing for you. Every time I look into the Word, it's because I want to teach you. I find it hard to just take time to let God teach me, nurture me, and love me. And those those times of solitude and, and repose, I think, are an important part of that process. I think Shabbat can turn our Sundays into a Sabbath experience. Now, we have to be careful that we don't make this a legalistic demand. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Saturday is not the Sabbath. Paul unequivocally, clearly said that those days are done away with. That we don't regard any day as special or unique or or a sabbatical. The Sabbath can take place any day, but but Sunday can very well become that. Some people asked me last week, shouldn't Sunday be a special day? If you want it to be, yes. It doesn't have to be. It can be Tuesday afternoon, as I said, or Friday afternoon, or or Saturday morning. But Sunday is a time when you can gather, be in community, be ministered to, minister to others, worship, reflect, think, read. You may want to spend that that quiet day uh, just by by yourself. But just remember, Paul warns us, not to turn it into Sabbath day observance and require it of others. That's legalism. And legalism puts us back into, into slavery. A Shabbat can result in, in time to build relationships. Relationships always take time to cultivate. Relationships with your family or your other friends, your near family or your extended family, your children, your grandchildren. I was talking last week to a friend who told me that he is self-employed and he has decided to work four days a week so he can spend three days with his family. Uh, it's going to mean uh, a diminished income, but as he put it, there, I'm getting better benefits because uh, he's carving out the time to spend time with his children and, and uh, with his spouse. A Shabbat can produce a day, an afternoon, or an hour to simply enjoy God's handiwork. A day to be unproductive and see what God has produced. Just to spend time looking around you and and, uh, and, and seeing what God has created. What makes it special, I think, is relating everything to God's activity. Seeing His handiwork in, in all that we see. Uh, Psalm 19 says, uh, The heavens declare His his glory. The firmament shows his handiwork. See, the, the one unique thing about us as Christians who believe in God's creative activity is that we can relate everything to God. I was really struck by this hymn that we sang. I've, I've never noticed before. I am his and his, he is mine. 
The second verse says, Heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green, something lives in every few Christless eyes have never seen. See? The, eye look, the sky looks bluer to us. The birds sing sweeter. Um, birds with gladder songs overflow, flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am His and, and He is mine. Uh, last week, Carolyn and I took some time off, went down to the Hagerman area, and, and uh, we woke up. Uh, actually, when we first got there, we were putting away our gear, and we looked out of the farmhouse that we were staying in toward the field in the back, and there were, I couldn't believe it, there were three fox kits. They were yearling foxes that were out uh, about 100 yards from the back of the house in this alfalfa field, playing just like pups. They were jumping on each other and rolling over. You know, they're about so big, about half grown. And their mother came out and, and she sat there and watched them just like an indulgent parent for, for about a half hour. And they were rolling in the clover and biting each other and chasing. It was delightful. Well, what a joy it is to take something like that and just relate it to, to God's, uh, God's handiwork. Um, and then... There, there are those Sabbath experiences that I call pure fun. Uh, a do-nothing Sabbath. A good-for-nothing day, you see. A day, an afternoon, an hour with no agenda. No plans. Just doing whatever comes to mind. You know, reading Pat, Mc, Pat McManus, and, and as I do, laughing out loud. Listening to Kenneth Green or Kenny G. Or a bird song in our backyard, arranging a bowl of flowers. I don't do that. I know you do. Tying a fly, taking a walk down the green belt with a friend or or without. Just puttering around the yard, planting planting flowers, reading a child a book, or reading a children's book. Just doing whatever you feel like doing. What we call wasting time. You ever just waste time? Well, you see, we can if we understand that. That God is is at work. I often when I there's something about the South Fork of the Boise that always gets to me. It's just really pretty down there, and and I often just when I'm fishing down there, just sit on a rock and look around. And I always think of Winnie the Pooh. You know, he was crossing a stream one day, and as he he put it, the the air was so delicious and the stream was so bubbly that he just sat on the rock, and and he was just poo for a while. And, and I thought that that's wonderful, you know, that's wonderful. Uh, Pooh understands Shabbat. So rest. Remember the Sabbath. E. Examine your motives. Why do you work so hard? It's, it's good to look into your heart. Try to try to explain to yourself why you're so driven and compulsive. Seek Sabbath experiences that grow out of Shabbat, and then take control of your life. God has given you that capacity. Get your calendar out. Start calendarizing. Start putting down some of the priorities in your life. To spend time with your grandkids or to just take a walk or to spend a day planting flowers or, or whatever you, you want to do, whatever you, you feel like doing. Uh, the old uh, Roman poet Horace is the one actually who first came up with that phrase, seize the day. And that wasn't Robin Williams and the... And the uh, Dead Poet Society, Carpe Deum, he said, seize the day, seize the moment. You put it like this, cut back long hopes. You don't, don't worry about the day after tomorrow. Even as we speak, envious time flees. Tempest fidgets, as, uh, as we say. 
Time flies. Seize the day, he says. Seize the day. Take control. Now, today. Get this concept of Sabbath in your heart and your mind and take control of your life. There's no day like today to begin. Now, I, I want to add a P.S. to this sermon. I, I elaborate on this in the paper, and if, if you happen to pick it up, you can look at it in more uh, detail. I'd like to have you turn with me to Second Thessalonians 3. Because as I went over this with Carolyn, she suggested to me that this can be abused. And she's absolutely right. I want to read. Oh, my time's gone. I can't do this. Let me come in to you, verses 6 through 15 of chapter 3, for your own reading. What Paul is saying. There's a word here for shirkers. Uh, when we talk about Shabbat, we are not talking about sloth. What, what Dorothy Sayers describes is that great, sprawling, slug a bed sin of sloth. Sloth's one of the uh, five uh, cardinal or root sins. It's wrong to be lazy. And in this passage, Paul says, there's some of you that aren't working at all. I want you to pay attention to what I have to say. This is not good advice. This is not just an apostolic uh uh, thought. This this comes straight from our Lord Jesus. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Okay. So sloth is is wrong. The rhythm that God has created is work and rest. Work and rest. As old Satchel Foot Page used to say, when I work, I work hard. When I sit, I sit loose. And that's the rhythm. Okay. When we work, we must work hard. If a man will not work, literally doesn't want to work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle or busybodies. Such people we urge and command in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the bread that you eat. So that's the other side. He's not commending sloth. He is commending Sabbath. That wonderful sense of rest that comes out of knowing that God is at work. I received a card from a dear friend of mine this last week, and I just I want to read something that he said, and perhaps you can identify. He said, David, I so desperately need peace and rest, but I'm too busy to find it. Doesn't that sound familiar? There are days lately I cry out in pain and frustration, wanting to walk quietly and peacefully with Jesus. But I do not know where to start, or perhaps better, where to stop. The place to stop is in the work that our Lord has done. He is at work in us, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. Let's pray. Lord, may we take this to heart. We know that uh, the flesh can dissemble itself under a whole lot of activity. The flesh not only can manifest itself in overt wicked deeds, but it can can manifest itself in self-driven, self-motivated, self-effort. And uh, we do not want to be women and men of the flesh. We want to be people of the Spirit. And so we pray that this concept of rest would penetrate our hearts and that we would Remember the Sabbath, that you, by example and precept, have told us what we're to do. 
May we enter into your rest. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.